Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Well, friends and family, uh, Christmas is here again. Can you believe it? It's this coming Thursday. Is that right? Friday? Friday, yeah. I'm always a day ahead. Um, but Christmas, even though it's right here and present, it really is, comes out of the ancient past. Yet there's always something new about it. Christmas is forever old and forever new. Jesus once said in Matthew 13, 52, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I think Christmas is a lot like that. Christmas is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things that are old and things that are new. At our Christmas tree, we usually in the past have had old ornaments we've had, but Karen tries to get a new one each year, you know especially when we had kids, something old, something new. So there's two major points in today's sermon. First of all, is that Christmas is forever old. You can guess what the second point is. <laughs> Much of the pageantry, stories, and music of Christmas reminds us that it is old. In this pageantry, we see kings and scribes and wise men dressed up in Persian garb. They, they all step on, step on our stages from the ancient past. We see shepherds and sheep and donkeys and camels that are unfamiliar to most of us in our modern urban world. Karen and I were at Billy Graham Library uh, Thursday, and we saw the Christmas kangaroo. Uh, <laughs> there in the nativity scene. I've never seen a Christmas kangaroo before, but there he was. Okay, that may be, may be more new than, than old, I'm not sure. We read, we tell, we hear the birth stories of Jesus as recorded in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. They're written early and have been told from the very beginning of Christianity. Both stories are literary gems, especially Luke's, as uh, Linus told a little bit of that. Someone has said that Luke gave us Christmas. We sing one of the great Advent hymns, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel. This was built on a text from the 9th century. Some of our Christmas cards go back to the 12th and 13th century. Francis of Sisi of the 12th century has been called the father of the Christmas carol. We sing again, Good Christian Men Rejoice, which goes back to the 14th century. As we sing these old Christmas hymns and carols, we have been sensed of adjoining hands and lifting a voice of people who sung them over the centuries. It's almost as if we touch the lives of those who sang the first Christmas. It would be difficult to really stress too much the fact that Christmas comes out of an ancient past brings us things that are old. We often take lightly, too lightly, the past. As a matter of fact, it's just as important as the present and the future. Without yesterday, today will make no sense at all. Without the past, we have no guidelines by which to chart our way into the future. An amnesia victim can't remember his or her name. That's terrible. Amnesia blocks out the past, and the person suffering from it cannot know who he is unless he's able to recall the past. 
That just reminds me of a, a viral video on YouTube in the last few weeks was this older lady. She must have been in her 80s, I guess, maybe even 90s. I'm not sure, in a, in a nursing home facility. Well, amnesia, really, because she had lost her memory completely, uh, in France. And she was a star ballerina back in the day. And they started playing on her headset, uh, Swan Lake. And she started doing the movements. You seen that? It's just interesting. Um, just interesting. But amnesia, but she got something familiar and she just went into it. As you recall, a familiar place, a familiar song. And you've seen different people in nursing homes who don't know anything, but sing a hymn to them, they start singing every word with you. Those who grew up in church. The church dares not forget Christmas. If it does, it cannot know who it is, what its message is, what its mission is. As to keep hearing the story about Jesus being born in Bethlehem in Judea. As to keep listening to the angel announce the good tidings of a Savior to all people who's been born to the shepherds. It has to keep going back to the manger where it remembers a crude signs identification. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. There at the manger can be known who he is. A people called by God to whom God has given the good news. You and me. There it, the church, can know what its message is. That God loves the world and acted savingly for it, having entered into a strange new way, in a personal way, at Christmas. There can remember its mission. To tell people everywhere, go tell on a mountain, is a Christmas song. Go tell it everywhere they don't know, have a, live in hopelessness and despair, and do not have to die in their sin and alienation. God bless this, this missionary we saw in a Muslim country. His heart breaking for the Muslim people who've been told lies about Jesus and the whole culture that's anti-Jesus in the sense of being the Savior of the world. So Christmas is forever old, and we connect with Christmas with our decorations here. The tree and the songs and the reefs and everything, what's going to happen tonight. Christmas is forever old. But as you anticipated my second point, there it is. Christmas is forever new. Many things lose their newness. They grow stale and musty. They lose their freshness, their vigor, and their beauty, become obsolete and useless, but not Christmas. What keeps old things new? Well, they have an inherent goodness, an inherent beauty or meaning to it. Or they, they keep on meeting some vital need in life, and, and they can remain new all the time. You may see a thousand dawns, a thousand sunsets, a thousand starry nights, but you never get tired of them, do you? They're always fresh, new, invigorating. They have inherent beauty in them. You may see many times Michelangelo's Pieta, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, and the last time you saw it was fresh and new as it was the first time you saw it. You are a hundred renditions of Handel's Messiah, and you're never bored. They all have beauty that does not grow old and meaning the years do not take away. You perhaps have a lifetime friend you've seen or talked to almost daily. He or she is gracious and kind and caring, and you never tire of those things. They're always fresh as morning. There's goodness in that person. Whoever gets tired of Luke's story of the birth of Jesus, even as Linus tells it, it was fresh, wasn't it? That's 
60 years old, 50 years old. It's still fresh to see that. Someone begins reading in verse 8, but you don't say when you hear the story of Luke, you don't say, I don't hear that again. I've heard it so many times. But rather, if you articulate your feelings, you would say, go ahead and read it again. I want to hear it again. There's both beauty and meaning in it. Christmas meets both demands of old things that remain new. There is beauty, there is goodness, there's meaning in it. It fills vital needs of those who desire a rich, full, useful life. Our focus now this morning is on those meanings. What are some of the needs that we have that Christmas meets? Making Christmas indispensable. Well, first of all, we need the holy with its mystery and wonder. It is God who makes things holy. A place is holy because God has been there. A time is holy because God has been in it. We call this a sanctuary, a holy place, because we meet God here. We worship God here. You see, friends, we need these experiences infused with God's presence when God seems to be calling us or lifting our vision beyond the earthly, mundane things of life. We need Him to lead us to the brink of wonder and mystery beyond which our little minds cannot go. We never grow weary of Moses' encounter with God on the backside of the desert. There's always something startling and arresting about it. You remember how he saw a burning bush, but it was not consumed. And he went to it to see what was going on. And God, after calling him by name, said, Do not come near. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This story is as refreshing when you first read it as it is even now. Israel always remembered that her emancipation began with a holy, clothed with wonder and mystery. And when she recalled it, she felt like praying and worshiping. No matter how uneventful, how dull her life, the story is always like a shaft of life breaking into boredom and to just regular mundane experience. We all need experiences like that when we feel as if we should take off our shoes, knowing that we are standing on holy ground. We read about Isaiah's transforming experience in the temple. We saw God high and lifted up. His train feeling, filling the temple, the seraphim above him who sang anthemically, if that's pronounced right, to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world, whole earth is full of his glory. But there's always something startling new about this. But why? Our hearts are made for experiencing something holy. With the holy, there's wonder and mystery. The holy leads us beyond the frontiers of the mind and beyond that point that stretches out into vast mystery. There we wonder. There we best worship and praise and pray. I experience that almost every Sunday here with you guys when we worship together. I experience a holiness, that mystery, that wonder, as we worship together. So we need the holy with this mystery and wonder. We also need love. Christmas is a great season of love, caring, and sharing. Never in our world as kind, generous, and magnanimous as this wonderful season. This is when we start giving stuff to people. We look for the downtrodden to give them things. 
Love never grows old. It is it's always fresh and new. And, and, you know, when your child puts his or her arms around you or your grandchild and says, Mommy or Grandmommy, I love you, he or she may have said it a dozen times. But the last time is just as good, if not better, than the first time. Because love is like an unfailing spring of fresh and sweet water. We continue to enjoy reading great literature that tells of it. In a world we grow tired in our search for the enduring, we find rest in its strength. When we grow thirsty for those things that truly satisfy, we drink from it, which is like a fountain that does not fail, and we are refreshed. Love, wonderful love, came into the world at Christmas. And this is where we learn the meaning. Christmas gives us the meaning of John 3.16. And what a love it was. It was agape love, God's love. It's a love that gives without asking to receive. It's a love that frees you rather than trying to possess you. It's a love that does not put you on probation. It, you, it receives you unconditionally. It does not demand that you first reform, become better, or become wiser. It accepts you just as you are. It's a love that loves to the uttermost, that loves the poorest, the sickest, the least promising, the most hopeless, the most marred, the least deserving, and the most sinful. Can you imagine the love of Christ ever becoming old? It's the only thing that can heal these terrible wounds of our world, overcome our separation, and redeem our tragedy. We need the holy. We need love. Third, we need forgiveness. Guilt is such a heavy burden to carry. It bends double the moral and the spiritual life. It can destroy us without our knowing it. Then the voice of grace speaks the word of forgiveness. A, a hand of love lifts the crushing load of guilt. How, how wonderful that is. And the last experience of forgiveness is as refreshing as the first experience of forgiveness. We keep on reading about great stories about forgiveness, and, and we identify with them in such a way that they seem to almost be autobiographical. They're about us. Jesus is left in the presence of a woman after her accusers had gone away. She was a scarlet woman caught in the act of adultery. Most men have been ashamed and self-conscious in her presence, but Jesus wasn't. Rising from kneeling where he had been riding in the sand, he asked her, Woman, where are they? Have no man condemned you? No, Lord, can reply. Neither do I condemn you, continued Jesus. Go and do not sin again. John chapter 8. You feel the joy and the liberation that comes from that acceptance. Christmas is not only about holy and wonder and mystery and love, it's also about forgiveness. A Savior has been born. There's enough grace in Him to cover the sins of the whole world. No one, no matter how depraved, is beyond His word of forgiveness. Christmas is the answer to our guilt, shame, and sin. The angel told Mary, you should call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And also, we need peace. How badly we need peace. We need it in our personal lives. We need it in our families. We need it in our communities. We need it in our nation and in our world. But few things on whatever level are ex exclusive than peace. Peace is hard to come by. And yet the longing never goes away. 
the hope for peace never dies. Even when the odds are greatly against us, we keep on working for peace. We never give up the dream that someday, as Isaiah says, shall beat their swords and the plowshares and the spears and the pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against them, neither shall they learn war anymore. That was written a long time ago. So the dream of peace lives on. The hope for peace is like a, a lighted candle in the human heart that the fierce winds of strife and conflict cannot blow out. There's nothing more arresting than to hear someone say, I know how you can have peace. Christmas talks that way. It's concerned about a peace and points in that direction. We still hear the heavenly host saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We call Jesus the Prince of Peace, do we not? That is who he is. It is peace he wants to give. We can speak of his legacy of peace, for one of the last things he said to disciples was in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Yet, I am glad for every effort for peace in the world. Yet at best, these efforts for peace and even some temporary peace bring only approximations of peace. I'm convinced that the road to real peace runs through Bethlehem. There the Prince of Peace was born. Peace will always be exclusive and hard to come upon until we let him break our pride, deliver us from our greed, root out our lust for power, forgive our sins, and enable us to love God and our brothers and sisters. Let us therefore offer thanks again that Christmas is like a householder who brings forth from his treasure things that are old and things that are new. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, thank you for Christmas and, and all that goes with that. It's so much with Christmas. Of course, the manger scene, baby Jesus in the, in the manger with the holy family and the shepherds and the wise men and we think about Rudolph and Santa Claus, we think about gifts, and we think about winter scenes, all that goes with Christmas. But thank you that the center of Christmas is you taking on flesh to be our Savior, to save us from our sins, and to meet these needs that I've laid out. Jesus, thank you for Christmas and for the celebration the church has had through the centuries and even today. The best place to celebrate Christmas as for brothers and sisters in Christ in church. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.